to, to kick off our time together today, I was reading a scripture that I thought was so perfect for families, homes. You're trying to make change in your life. You're trying to be a godly family and honor God. Here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 13. And this text, let me preface it. Some of you know this part of the Bible very well. Others of you are new to the faith. You don't know this part of the Bible. Here, let me catch you up right here. Ready? Nehemiah comes from Jerusalem. The wall of Jerusalem is, is broken, torn down. There's holes, gaping holes, problems. The opposition is coming in and ravaging the city. Their families are unprotected. They're, they, they're, they're left kind of exposed to, to the opposition because of these broken down walls. Nehemiah leaves a long distance away to come help, to help fight for families and homes in his community. So here's what it says in verse 13, chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. All right, he's saying... We got some gaping holes in the wall. I'm going to put people there. We're going to place them there while we're rebuilding this thing. We're going to be protecting our, our families. He says, I posted them by families with swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of our enemy. Look, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families and your sons and your daughters and your wives in your homes. I, I don't know about you, like, but when I read that, maybe I'm the only one, I get jazzed up a little bit. I'm like, yes, I want to be a part of that. We want to deal with the opposition, and I want to protect our homes and families. And, and so that kind of gets me charged up already. But then, of course, I think about what it says in verse 20, a little bit further down. It says, wherever, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, because when you get to that place, here's what it says, our God will what? He'll fight for us. Here's the promise of God, that if you want to stand in the gap for your family, you want to step up on the front lines for your family, you want to fight for your homes, your sons, your daughters, your families, if you will do that, God says, I will meet you there. And I want to know that promise. I, God is going to join me on this journey. And I shared that to get you in right frame of mind and positioning for what I want to share with you today, help you understand that if you are going to win for your family in the year 2023, in the century and in the decade and in the year in which things have gone off the rails for families, if you want to win for your family, you have got to decide that there is a worthy cause in fighting for my home, fighting for my son, fighting for my daughter, that it is a battle that we must step into. Do you see your home as that important that you need to fight for it? Do you see the urgency of the situation in a time and a day when people look at the traditional setting of family and what God created and they just shove it aside? The values that we believe in God's word that say that starts the family with a husband and a wife and children come along the way and in that setting God puts a stamp on it and says this is something healthy for humanity. Do you see that value as critical for life and for, for homes and for community? And, and the answer, I hope, as you leave here today is yes. But here's the thing. If you want to sustain your family, if you want to rebuild your family, you have to be willing to look your adversary in the eye, just like Nehemiah did, and say, you have no portion here. This is our land. The family belongs to God. It does not belong to Satan. 
You have to be willing to stare your adversary in the face and say, the God of heaven is going to meet me here and he's going to fight for me. And you have to believe that. You can walk out of here and hear me share. And it sounds, oh, he gave me four things. Woohoo! And you walk out the doors. And you, I'll try. I'll try one or two of these things. Folks, I'm here to tell you, it's not going to work out if you're just going to try. There's got to be way more than just trying and hoping it works out for your family. It is indeed a fight that you have to decide you want to be in and that you want to endure. And if you're a young couple here, you're young, you're, you're looking to get married or you are married, you want to have kids one day, here's what I want to say to those of you who are young. You had, if you want a family, you better be committed to God. Right now, you need to make that decision. You're either in or you're not. Because if you are not committed to God, there's going to be problems. You better be committed to your marriage. You better be committed to your family, to your children, and a God commitment. If there is any looseness, hear me. Young people, if there is any looseness in your commitment to God, to your wife, your husband, your children, the enemy will invade and divide your family. He will. The, the, the truth is out there. Like The data says this will absolutely happen. Will you fight for your sons and daughters, wives, homes? Do you believe that it's a battle that you need to step into? The Bible says that if you'll embrace God in this battle, no weapon formed against you will prevail. If you will stand on God and the foundation of God, you will prosper as a family. Nehemiah rebuilt those walls and those walls still stand today. You can go to Israel and you can see those walls and the effort that they put into to try to rebuild those, that, home, that community and protect their family, but just no opposition comes. It is not easy. The enemy does want to destroy family. Destroy your family, just so you know, why is the enemy so interested in destroying families? Well, because it's one of the first things God did with humanity because he understood the value of family. He said, here, Family, husband, wife, children, here we go. This is a family, it's a family unit. God cares so much about the family unit. He created it before the church. He created it before the races of humanity. He said family is a big deal, and Satan understands that family is a big deal to God, and so he's attacking it. So I start out with that. To get you in the right frame of mind, that if you're going to win, you can't just write these things down that I'm sharing. They're important. But the fighting mindset has to be front and center. I want to give you some influential helpers today. That if you're willing to fight with God on your side and really step into this battle, uh, that you would see these ways that you can influence your family in a very big way. And so here's the first one. It's a really big deal. I put it in your notes. Great families, great parents anyways, they influence their families by leading and parenting themselves. My question is, are you leading you? How could you lead others if you can't lead you? Parenting yourself. I know that sounds really weird. Pastor Gary, why are you saying that 35-year-old people need to learn to parent themselves? Because they do. In our culture today, uh, there are people who are of this particular older age but are still acting like they need a parent like they're a child. And so you have to decide, I'm going to lead, I'm going to parent myself. Here's what it says, Proverbs 25 and verse 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. The cracks 
in the wall of the home and the, what you're trying to accomplish for your home, the cracks are there because you lack the wisdom, you lack the self-control, you lack the personal leadership. Great self-leadership is what puts you and I in position to sustain anything long-term. Great leadership in the family allows us to be in position to sustain leadership for our family. But in the end, in order for this to happen, you have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, am I leading myself? In all honesty, and I said in the week, first week of this series, one of the great challenges, people turning their family around is just being willing to look in the mirror and say, this thing is off. Here's what we know. The data tells us this. In a home that is successful or turning things around or sustaining growth inside the family, it's healthy. In those families, we typically see both husband and wife, both mom and dad are on a self-growth together to be better individually. I'm individually better, individually better. We're moving together, together to encounter something greater for our home and our family. Show me a family that's sustaining healthy change, growing as a family, and I'll show you two people leading that home for sure. The leaders of that home are trying to grow. Show me a home that's divided, that's broken, that's messy, and I'll show you that there's one or both people in that home that are not doing their part to grow in their self-leadership. It just happens that way. And so are you doing your part? You look in the mirror and you say, am I doing this or not? And, and look, it, it, you know that it's one thing to say, oh, I got a title of being a parent, so that makes me a leader. You can have the title of parent, but that does not mean you're doing your job as leading as a parent, right? Think about this in the business world. Have you ever met people who've got a great title and they use that title for authority and to boss you around, but it's hard to really listen to them or trust them because you don't see them self-leading themselves? Have you ever met people that work by just title only? You've probably seen these people. And you would say, yeah, they're just not living it out. Well, the same thing is true in your home. Imagine a husband coming home. I've seen this literally happen. Say to his wife, he's been leading poorly and living poorly as a human being. He comes home to his wife and says, you know, the Bible says I'm the spiritual leader of the home, so you're going to listen to me. How do you think that goes over for her? Like, not good. Because she's never seen him actually self-leading and living a life that he needs to live personally and individually. Imagine going up to your kids and say, say, you need to just do this. And the kids say, why? Because I said so. Well, it makes a difference when the kids know that you're actually, again, living something out in your life. Leadership at the end of the day doesn't have to do with titles. Quality leadership says that I'm living something out and people see it in the way that I'm living and they want to be a part of what it is that I'm involved in because I'm growing. Dads, do you model leadership in the way you're living? Men, are you modeling quality leadership? Remember this, leaders are not born. People say they're a born leader. No, no, no. Real leaders are made. And they're made through the trials and the ups and downs of life and how they respond along the way. There's an old saying uh, that John Maxwell said, you know, that um, if, you're, if you think you're leading 
and you're out leading and you look around and there's nobody following you, all you're doing is taking a walk. And so how do we know that we are actually involved and healthy? We're healthy leading on our own, that people are following us and they say, man, I want to be a part of that. It requires us to grow. It requires us to grow up. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes 10.10. It says, if the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring what? Success. Learning and growing and learning and becoming a learning and growing leader brings success. I lead this trip every year. It's called Wild at Heart. I take about 40 men on a journey to help them understand what it really does mean to be a man. And they come back with all kinds of interesting things that they discovered from that trip. And so many of them want to learn to lead spiritually. But sometimes some of the things they share just such a portrait of learning how to really grow up as a man. And one of them shared this with me once, and I thought I would read it to you. He said this, I remember my wife often saying how exhausting it was for her to have to tell me what to do all the time. I could stop right there. Because some of you, like you, don't even want, like, you know what I'm talking about. It's why the sexiest thing a man can do is to say to his wife, I've got this. And then take care of whatever needs taken care of. I've always reasoned, if you just tell me what you want me to do, if you just make a list, I'll gladly do it. But she didn't want to be my mother. She didn't want me to be another child that she had to parent. She wanted to be my wife, and she wanted to apply, me to apply all of my intelligence and learning capabilities to the logistics of managing our lives and our household. She wanted me to figure out the things that needed done, devise my own method of task management, and go forward. What he understood is that my wife, what she was saying is, she just wanted me to grow up. She didn't want me to be another child in the home. That's what he was discovering. And I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. And this could happen for a man it could happen for a woman, but you're in this time of life where it says, okay, I'm putting away the things of childish. I'm going to grow emotionally. I'm going to grow mentally. I'm going to grow spiritually. I'm going to grow relationally, and I'm going to do the part that I need to do. Some of you, in your lack of self-leadership, have become the broken part of the city. And I hope as you hear this, you'll self-examine and say, that needs to change. I want to start doing my part to grow. I want to, I want a Bible study. I want to learn from God. I want to learn from mentors. I want to be in small groups. I want to be in that position. Uh, here's the next thing in your notes. Uh, influencing parents decide to give of their time. Deep investments of time. If you're going to parent well, you give of your time. Parents, it's the greatest gift we have talked about this before. It's the greatest gift we have. Uh, speaking of the wild at heart trip, I hear men sometimes say, I don't understand what her problem is, my wife. I give her everything she needs. I give her money. I give her a car. I give her a home. I give the kids money. What's the problem? And here's the problem. They don't want your money. They want your time. And you need to make time investments. There's a man here right now. You think that's the answer to the entire marriage or the entire family. They want your time. 
And we know this, that it's the most valuable resource you have to give. It's time. You can make more money, you can buy more stuff, but you can't make and buy more time. And so you have to be willing as a parent to, to, amidst of all the chaos of this world, set chunks of time for your wife, for your marriage, for your husband, for your kids, make those family time investments. Kids tell us if I was to line them up here, they would say, what do you want from your parents? And in all of their responses, at the end of the day, it would be something that would take the majority of their responses would look something about spending time with mom and dad. I put in your notes three things that we embraced in our home that were important. I hope you will as well. Uh, the first one, kind of what we've been talking about, is availability. You have to decide to invest in availability. Just being there. Being there for when they need you, going to the events, going to the fun stuff, uh, going to the games, whatever. It is. Availability. I am here to be your parent and spend time with you. Here's the next thing I put in your notes. Commit to having fun as a family. Do they know that they can come to their house and have fun? It, this, today, so many homes are all work and no play. Uh, we have chaotic schedules. We're too busy. We're too tired when we get home. We don't have time for each other. We're negative because of the brokenness that we experienced in the world that day. We're wore out. We're too serious along the way. And what kid wants to come home to that? They want to come home and enjoy time with their family, and they want to be a part of an enjoying family. Great parents make fun families. You are not a boot camp director, drill sergeant, business leader, CEO. You're not involved as a parent in some laboratory experiment where you try a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you hope it all kind of works out. The Bible tells us, and says, reminds us, and many people don't even realize this, that you ought to enjoy some, some of the things that God has given you in life. And he's given us family. If you have kids in your home, he's given us, he's given us family. If you have kids in general, if you have married without kids, he's given you a spouse. So we enjoy, we make sure we're enjoying time together. We know the Bible talks about, well, you need to work. We know the Bible says, well, don't be lazy. But it talks about having fun. Ecclesiastes, it says this in 8 verse 15. It says, I commend the enjoyment of life. Wisest man, Solomon never lived, says, yeah, enjoy things. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, God generously gives us, I didn't put this on the screen, but he generally gives us everything for our enjoyment. And so we know God wants us to enjoy the things he's created, given us. Ecclesiastes 11.8, people ought to enjoy every day of their lives, no matter how long they have. Why does it say it like that? Why does it say every day, no matter how long you have? Because it's a reference to the fact, and I know it's kind of morbid, but you don't know what tomorrow brings. So make the most of what you have right now with your family, because who knows what happens tomorrow? You don't want to miss those moments. And too many families today are stacking, stacking some losses, which is like uh, busy one day and then the next day and three days turns into five days and a week and a month and we're too busy for each other. And that lack of time and fun investment is killing families. I can remember when we uh, first, you know, we're having a family, my wife and I, we, we made a decision that we would certainly invest in 
and things of God. We'd, we'd embrace God in our family. Uh, we made a commitment, of course, to make sure our kids got their educations that they, they needed as well. But we also made a commitment that we would, be, we would have fun together. Because I didn't want my kids leaving the home one day and saying, I ain't never going back there. It ain't no fun. I wanted them to be able to still, to still come back. It's an important thing to remember about life. And if you want to write this down, you can. People don't oftentimes remember all the things you say. But they do remember how you make them feel. How you made them feel. And your kids remember, did mom and dad make us feel like this was a fun place to live? Your husband remembers this. Your wife, we remember how people make us feel. And so for us, it was, yes, we're going to make sure that we are available, that we're having fun together. And then we always made sure as a part of those time investments that we, we were consistent on traditions. This can seem like such a, a small thing, but it's a huge thing. What the data tell us, the science tells us, is that when kids have things that they can consistently count on in the family, they exit the home in a healthier fashion because uh, they, they had some of that security throughout the years of their life, looking forward to things that the parents did all the time. And so for, it could be things that you do daily together, it could be things that you do weekly together, monthly together, yearly together, holiday consistency together. The consistency, the commitment, the security, the trust of traditions has an effect on our kids. Some of you can point to some of the great traditions of your home, your family that your parents always were doing, and maybe you apply them to your, your kids. Now, if you have kids today, it's a part of your future and the things that your family did together. They matter. Could be a game night. Could be a consistent movie night. It could be a, a, a fun thing we did every month or every quarter or every year. To little trips and vacations that we consistently went to. It could be that you know your kids they, they this grades they get good grades and you have a tradition of taking them out when they get good grades. But those traditions they all add up. Consistency, security, fun, available parents. Here's the third thing. Great influential parents are protectors. They know it's their job to protect their children. They know that this world they head out into when they leave the doors of the home, it's messy. And so they want to invite them back into a home that they can count on. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10 says, two are better than one. I love the bluntness of this translation of this text. It says, if one of them falls down, the other can help them up. But if someone is alone and falls, well, it's just too bad. <laughs> because there's no one to help them. As blunt as that is, it's true. Well, in the family home environment, kids, families ought to be able to come home and say, when I enter in the doors, I've had a tough day, but there's a people there that are going to pick me up. And that consistency, again, that we're talking about has a huge value when a kid comes home and says, this place shelters me in the middle of storms. They take care. Families that are sticking together through tough times and chaos, they know that there's a, an environment inside the home where we all have each other's back no matter what. You see, what's happening today in our culture is they leave the doors of the home, they go out into this world, and it's stormy and messy, 
and then they come back home and it's stormy and messy. And it ought not be that way. This is why orphan kids are so in danger and so susceptible to unhealthy things because they've never known a protector in their life. And sometimes they gravitate to people who aren't protectors, but act like they are because they don't know what a real protector is. And sometimes they won't let anybody protect them because they've never let anybody, they've never experienced protecting. That's why we're doing uh, a little time and promotion of something that we're partnering with and engaging with in our community. It's a fostering organization that is a Christian organization to help those kids who have never discovered protected type living or never been cared for by parents the way they ought to be cared for. And what was really cool is I was looking at the data before this weekend. Coming into this weekend, we had 71 people tell us they wanted to attend a gathering we're having in a few weeks where we just talk about fostering and see who's interested. And I heard that and I thought, our church is amazing. 71 people are at least interested in hearing about that. That's amazing. Some of you are new or you missed that, you're interested being a part of that. Uh, you see the date up here on the screen. If you want more information, just write foster or fostering on the back of your Connect card, drop it in the bucket, and we'll make sure we get you that information about this, this event that's coming up. I wanna be clear, if you write foster or fostering on the back of your Connect card, that doesn't mean you're, we're, you're bringing you a kid immediately. It just means that you're praying you are seeking God and you are interested in knowing more and especially interested in attending this event. But what are some of the key storms to make sure that you are protecting your kids from as they go in and out of your home? Well, the first thing I put in your notes is change. The chaos, the storms of change outside the home, uh, it's heavy. In our culture today, everything is wavering back and forth. Nobody's embracing truth. There's one lie today and a different lie the next day. There's no baseline of truth. And they leave the home, it's utter chaos. Like the world today that our kids go out the door and experience, basically for all the hours they're gone out of the home, looks like this all day long. What's true, what's not true, what's right, what's not right. What they need is a baseline. And that baseline of consistency, again, ought to be offered inside the home. And so they know that despite the changing chaotic conditions over there, they can come here, experience that consistency. I think about it in the, in the, in the way of like, if your car hits a pothole. If your car hits a significant pothole, there's going to be potentially some damages like rims and and tires and alignment and balance and all that stuff can be out of whack. And so what do you do? You take it to a a mechanic and the mechanic fixes and straightens things and puts it back in order and says, okay, you're good to go now going forward. Well, in the homes, it's kind of like, well, that's what parents do. They hit potholes during the day. Things get out of alignment in their life, but they come home and as parents, we kind of help them with alignment. We kind of get them in kind of where they need to be spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and then we send them back out the next day. Your home should be a consistent place in the midst of the chaotic change of this world. Second thing in your notes is my home should be a shelter against harmful ideas. Everywhere our kids go, they're being bombarded with media and portrayals of what Life is, even though it's not, what sex is, even though it's not, all kinds of ideas are being put there in their mind. And so the home 
should be a place where we protect against that. Uh, there, the studies tell us that by the age of 18, the average kid will have viewed 18,000 hours of media. And they will have learned all kinds of oddities, things that aren't true, maybe about families, about marriage, again, about sex, about what, what is meaningful in life and what's not. And all those unhealthy things come into their mind, come into their heart. And, and so the job of the parents is to say, we're going to protect you from harmful ideas and we're going to make sure that certainly we uh, reevaluate things every day, our values and things that matter, and we're going to make sure our kids are being protected from those unhealthy ideas. I hear sometimes families will say, they'll brag, I'll, I'll hear a, a somebody, a family member, or family uh, talk about their family and their kids, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, we... We, our kids only eat these things and we are strict and it's this and veggies and all this little dieting plan that they've got for their kids. And if you do that, I want to say that's awesome. That's great. You care about the intake of what your kids are eating. And so that's great. And I don't want to pick on that. But so many times we're so fixated maybe with what our kids are ingesting and food wise, and we're not paying any attention to the things that leave significant damage to their life. The things they're intaking in their heart the things that they're taking in their mind that are wrecking their future, the things, the way they see things in life. And so as parents, it's our job to say, yes, I care about what you eat, of course, but I also care about what you're ingesting. Media views, things that give you unhealthy, harmful ideas for life. The third thing is rejection. Our kids are rejected now more than ever. They're getting betrayed they get messages of betrayal. Like there's, people just text now. They want they, they they text daggers to you, or they 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 do things to you that are to pick to pick you apart more than ever before. Uh, we go through struggles when we exit the home. People we encounter, work environments, and people that don't like us there, and different things. And so we ought to be able to come home and know again, this family is here. They've got my back. We rally together. Rejection can be a huge storm, but when your kids walk in the door and they know there's unconditional love and acceptance, that we love you, we've got your back no matter what, that is a powerful tool for children. They ought not experience rejection when they get home. We don't want to spend time with you. We don't have to get away. We got other things to do. They need to have that love, and we've all gone through chaotic moments in life. We've all gone through moments where in that chaos, people say things to us. We experience brokenness of other people and it gets on us. And we say, okay, in our home, we, we went through this. We said, okay, when the, we knew somebody had a bad day, we rallied together. I was actually talking about this with my wife uh, yesterday about this part of the sermon. And I said, you know, we really did a good job with that. Like if we knew the kids had a painful day, like we, we were in like, we are in just full-on love mode. Like they're walking in the door and we're gonna make sure they know that as they enter these doors, they are loved by mom and dad. And so we would, we would talk about it. You know, she would send me a message during the day and say, so she had a bad day. She had something happen. And so I'd make sure that we rallied when we got home. And then I was telling her, you know, babe, like I did that with the girls sometimes when I knew you had a rough day. I would send them a message and say, you know, mama had a rough day. Let's rally around mama. Let's make sure she knows that like we got her back. And so the girls and I, we, we would do that. And she said, oh, by the way, I, I did that with the girls too about you. 
I knew you had a bad day sometimes, and I would tell the girls, we need to rally around dad and be there for dad. What were we doing? We were embracing the shelter of a home that ought to be, that we've got each other's back. And of course, things flip with age, and there can even come a time where we have each other's back in a different way, where the parents get old, and the kids have to make sure the parents are still taken care of. Good families do that as well. They make sure that now as the kids grow older and the parents grow older, they're looking out and having the back of what their parents are going through as they get older in age. And I added that into my message since my kids have now left the home and they're getting older. So I want them to take care of me. So anyways, that's um, anyways. But no, we, we're, we're kind of in this thing to make sure that we're, we're doing our part all the way through. Here's the last thing I put in your notes. We, we teach values at our home kind of through teaching or just through the way we're living as a family, we made sure that we were teaching values. In other words, values are what matter most in life. You got to help your kids know what really matters most in life and what are the lies. What's the truth about what matters most and what is not, what's not the truth. And would you agree that our kids are now getting more lies than they've ever experienced before when they leave the home? They're getting all kinds of lies, fed fed to them about life and what matters and what doesn't. Here's three lies that are permeating our culture today that our kids are embracing more than ever before. Here's, here's lie number one. Ready? All that matters is how you look. As long as you look a certain way and have all these looks, you'll be accepted. Nobody cares about the content of your character. You just got to look right. Our kids are being taught this today. What a lie it is. It's so empty to live a life like that. But we have to stand and teach them the truth about these things in life. You know what they're being told? Lie number two is this. The more money you have, the more important you must be. What a lie. An empty way of living. And yet our kids are being, they're buying into this. They're making it materialism and greed the centerpiece to their life. And third thing the world teaches is that, well, the, the more sex you have, the more valuable you must be. What an empty way of living. We know how that story plays out years later in humanity. So we stand in that gap as a family and we say, no, 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 I, I need to know, I, want, I need to tell you what really matters. And by the way, these lies uh, are things that the enemy has been perpetuating since the very beginning. I don't know if you know, but these are really centered around the three lies of our adversary, it's the lust of the eyes, the, the, it's, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three temptations that our adversary dishes out, and it's still going on in the year 2023. Uh, Adam had to deal with it, Moses had to deal with it, Jesus had to deal with it, and you've got to deal with it as well in your household. They essentially center around this. What you feel matters most, what you do matters most, and what you can take out of life matters most. It's in the, in the philosophy world or the secular teaching world, it's hedonism, materialism, and secularism. Sex, salary, and status are all that matter in life. And we push up against that. We say, no, 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 kids. That's going to leave you so empty. We want to tell you all the truth about life. We want to tell you about the important things about life. And as a part of that journey, I want to share with you something I shared two weeks ago that we've embraced as a family to help make sure 
that our kids know values. We simply made sure we were always doing this, serving God and serving others. I said two weeks ago, that's why when your kids see you serving at church, mom and dad are serving at church, when they see you serving the community that way, see you caring about the body of believers, when your kids see you doing that, they also want to be a part of that, right? They want to they want to know that. They, they want that to be ingrained in, into their life and, and because they know mom and dad see others and serving God as valuable. They start embracing it. And when they start embracing that, they're getting outside of themselves and they're not living in this materialistic, greedy, life is all about number one, me, oh, me, oh, me. They start to realize that there's a humanity in need. I, I love how it describes this in Acts 10 too. It says, he and all his family... They were devout, God-fearing. They gave generously to those in need, and they prayed to God regularly. This is just like, we just, it's just what we do as a family. We get outside of ourselves, and we embrace that. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this, like the family that's really getting this right, their kids don't wake up and say, Mom and Dad, are we going to church today? If your kids say that, you're behind. They just know we're going to church today. They don't even have to ask the question. They know that's what we're doing because it's there and we serve God and we serve others. And so I share this with you today. And I ask you, will you think consider these ways of influence? Will you embrace them enough to say, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your families, fight for your homes? When my grandfather passed away a few years ago, we... Um, it was tough because he was, he was a, a really great man. And I thought these things that maybe you've thought when you've lost somebody. Have you ever lost somebody in the family and you're like, that was a legacy person in our family? Like they were a stalwart in the family. They were a big deal. Like, like grandma, she prayed and she was a woman of faith. That person we lost in our family, he, he, he was it, man. He set character. He set commitment in motion. He was a legacy person in our family. When you lose those people, it hurts. And I was thinking this when my grandfather passed away. I was thinking, man, I hear this at funerals. People say this. That's some really big shoes to fill. Really big shoes to fill. Well, here's the news flash, folks. If you want to be a parent, you've got really big shoes to fill all the time. That's your job, to fill those shoes, expand those shoes, lead your family well, lead your family into right health. And it is not an easy job. Let me just ask, where would the shoes of your parenting journey in the past and the footprints that you left behind, where do they show that you've been leading your family up to this point? What does the history say? You've been leading your family well, or would they show that maybe you've kind of been wandering with your family? I can tell you that many years ago, I embraced what it says, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Choose today who you will serve. But we decided in our family, as for me and my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's been a part of what we do to make sure we have right values and right mindsets in our own home. But if you hear what I'm saying today and you say, well, that's not happening in my family right now, you're hearing me talk and you say, man, I, I haven't been doing it well. I want to just share with you, you can turn it around today. The miracle that God wants to do has nothing about the past, nothing to do with the past and the mistakes that you've made. The miracle that God wants to do in your life 
is gonna be centered around the little time that you have left and your commitment to make the most of that. And he will show you how even, even if you've missed a lot of years doing it right with your kids, that if you'll just start making that investment with the little bit of time you have, he'll show up and do a miracle if you will turn to him. In fact, the promise for Nehemiah is the promise for you still today, that if you will invite him in and make the most of what time you have, God says, I will meet you there. Would you turn to him and your family and your own life and your own self-leadership and say, I'm gonna start this thing now. Let's pray together. God, we um, just continue to, to realize the value of parenting. There are young people here who they want to parent one day or they want to have a marriage, a family one day, but without God, this, this brokenness, this divide, God's slithering in, Satan damaging our homes. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, God, for a conviction, for, for a desire to, to move ahead with you, God, desire to fix things, be honest about what we're looking at in the mirror and self-lead, grow and invest in our families. It's not easy. What's easy to do is to walk out of here and be excited about doing it and do it for a day or two, Lord, but we're not here for that. We want to walk out of here today with a commitment to put this thing in motion for decades in our life. God, help us, empower us. Father, I pray for the person that's sitting right here in this audience. They're in a seat. And they do not know that which I speak of about the power of God, a godly family. Maybe they didn't learn it growing up, but they can learn it today. Begin that journey anyways today by surrendering to God, letting him be Lord of your life, taking the position of, God, you are taking the wheel, and I'm gonna let you drive from this day forward. God, I want to receive uh, the forgiveness of the sin and the moments and times that I went away from you. And I recognize today that it is only through the gift of Jesus Christ that I could be forgiven of my sin. God, I invite the Savior, Jesus Christ, into my life. I'm ready to begin a journey with you, God. I want to learn how to lead. I want to be a parent. I want to be whatever it is, a great husband, a great wife. God, I want to start it with you and journey with you in Jesus' name. Amen.